Can you hear us? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Excellent. Great. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Oh Brother, Not Another Podcast, sponsored by Verso Studios at the Westport Library and available on all podcast platforms. My name is Migs Burrows. And I'm Trace Burroughs, and we're happy today to have on our show Ted Alexandro, stand-up comedian who's been on uh, so many shows, David Letterman, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel, uh, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, he's done Dr. Katz, I'd like to ask you about that because I used to love that show, um, and you've done Comedy Central's specials and done, done some movies. Um Dr. Katz. So did you did you play yourself on Dr. Katz? I did. I was a patient of the good doctor. Uh, I played myself like many comedians. And that was exciting, as you might imagine. You know, I was a fan of the show as well and had seen many of my favorites over the years. So uh yeah, that was one of those. I mean, although it's obviously a little more of a cult show than like the late night shows when you get the call for Letterman or Conan. I'd say that meant as as much to me because it was just, it, you know, it was something that so many good comedians had had been on, comedians that I respected. Uh, so the combination of of that and also the seeing yourself in Squiggle Vision. Squiggle Vision, yeah, that was great. Did you like the way they portrayed you? I mean, with your... Yeah, no, I was I was fine with it. You know, I mean, uh, I had hair and no beard back then, uh, so it was kind of a, a flip of of our current uh, presentation. But yeah, it was it was great, man. It it was fun. I was a fan of Jonathan Katz. I had worked with him years prior, so I loved him as a comedian. Um, and he was, you know, he's just one of those guys that comics know and love, uh, even if the the you know the larger public didn't know him before Doctor Katz. Comedians knew him and respected him because he's just so funny so dry uh also a musician you know like myself I, I had started in music so yeah i think you know all of those factors i just uh i love the guy mm -hmm. so you play jazz piano right well yeah in quotes i mean i don't do it anymore which is why you know uh, i wouldn't call myself a jazz piano player but i studied jazz piano for two years at city college in new york yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I loved it, but I was in over my head and uh, had the good sense to recognize that and uh, move on to comedy, you know, so <laughs> it was like, all right, I'll just one by one, I'm going to go through the arts. I think, you know, just uh, being a clown was really all that was left. So luckily, comedy worked out. Yeah. What, was there, do you find a corollary between music? You know, I mean, there's the obvious ones, maybe rhythm and, you know, and there's that old thing about the music is the space between the notes, not the notes and blah, blah, blah. Did any corollaries between music and comedy? Yeah, definitely. You know, I don't think it's something necessarily that you can quantify, but maybe it's just an ear for rhythm and pacing and uh, breath and all the things you mentioned in terms of spacing, uh, a cadence of when to speak and not speak, uh, allowing the crowd to laugh and kind of holding in the pocket and not rushing, you know, finding finding your tempo and your pace as a comedian on stage. So when you started writing material for yourself, um, you know, the thing that comes to mind is like King of Comedy, you know, where, where he's in his mother's cellar and he's, he, I guess he's got cutouts of audience people and he's, he's <laughs> playing them. Um, so did you just jump into it, take, take your material, went to some club, waited, you know, when, when the time when they allow, I think, you know, as long as you sign up and you're in line, is that how you started? 
Yeah, that was basically the road, uh, minus the cutouts of the card, you know, the cardboard people. <laughs> I, I did the uh, the mirror thing uh, occasionally just to kind of, you know, I thought it was like something to do, you know, like to to just kind of try to see how I looked and hold a microphone. And so I did that a few times in the in the early going, as I'm as I'd imagine a lot of comedians or artists in general, performing artists have done. Um, but the thing you, you realize quickly about comedy is there's no substitution for being in front of people. You have, you have to do it in front of people, unlike music where you can do it in a recording studio and then maybe it can evolve and take on different tones and colors. Uh, speaking of music, when, when you take it touring, uh, but comedy, you kind of perfect it in front of the crowd and they're kind of partners in a sense of uh shaping it and editing it and letting you know what's working and what's not so yeah for me my road was just doing that going to every little room i could find that had a microphone signing my name on countless lists uh waiting in the back sometimes not even getting on um all those things yeah and and that's what you have to do in the early going when you're kind of uh deciding to do it uh, because it is something that you have to decide to do and keep deciding because there's a lot of things telling you, maybe you shouldn't do this. Uh, so it is a decision and, and, you know, you have to love it. And that's what keeps you going back, no matter the the circumstances you find yourself in. Did you ever have to, I think it was a, a Berbiglia series, I forget what it was called, but where, where he had to, in order to earn a spot, you had to give out flyers on the street corner. If you gave out 500 flyers, you got a spot. Was that a real thing? That was a real thing, but luckily I, I, I bypassed that, you know? Um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough that I lived in Queens. So I was kind of halfway between the Manhattan clubs, which there were, you know, probably half a dozen good ones, uh, and probably another half a dozen, you know, just rooms with, you know, bars, whatever it was. And, uh, the other half being Long Island. So Long Island had a pretty thriving comedy scene when I was coming up in the early nineties. So I could kind of, you know, and they were two distinct separate scenes. So I could kind of bounce between the two. And the good thing about the Long Island scene was that they were real people. It wasn't like a room full of comedians sitting there kind of in their own notebooks, barely looking up, barely reacting. They, they were real people because comedy was still kind of, um, you know, kind of novel and, and hot at, at that point. I think it's come back around again, probably a couple of times since. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was, I think, helpful in my development that I was in front of real people uh, a couple nights a week on Long Island. And then, you know, the Manhattan could be hit or miss depending on what room it was, but it tended to be mostly fellow comedians. Mm -hmm. So what do you, if you, if, if you got your, memorize your your do you have any like cheat sheets like in case you flake out and you want to know where you were. yeah it's so it's so seamless yeah i just saw um you know your um what's one i just saw oh the senior class of earth yeah i mean it's so seamless you should have wrote it should have wrote it on your hand hmm? yeah you should have <laughs> wrote the title on your hand yeah, right. um yeah yeah it's <laughs> senior, senior class, class of earth, earth. Right. um, <laughs> um <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, in the early going, I, I did exactly that. I did uh, write down keywords or bullet points or things that would jog my memory because the thought of doing stand up in the early going and, and, you know, people may or may not realize this, but I think almost all comedians and there may be a few that are uh, were just hit the ground running and didn't have those nerves. 
but almost all comedians are, are were terrified, you know, but not to the point where it paralyzes you. Terrified and and um, you know, like hit with adrenaline that I have to do this. I love to do this. I'm scared to death. Uh, I I don't know if I'll remember my act. But just the thrill of pursuing it and trying to figure it out and having an inkling, I think I can do this. And then the first year or two, you <laughs> you can and you can't. You know, you, you have your moments where you think you're on top of the world, and then and then you uh, you bomb miserably and kind of go back to the drawing board. But you need all of those experiences, you know. Um, so that's kind of going, you know, through the fire of building those layers of, of armor and all the experiences that you need as a comedian. Uh, so to the point of when I get to senior class, you know, which was, I think was my fifth, maybe my fourth special at that point. Um, you know, you're really not thrown. I'm not going to say by anything, but you, you've seen so much, you know, I've been doing this like 30 years now. So you've seen so much that anything that happens, you kind of welcome as an opportunity, you know, to, to see what you can do with it or just to acknowledge it, uh, which when you're younger, you don't have that sense. Uh, when you're younger, you think everything has to be like, you have to hit a, a bullseye and hit a home run. Sometimes it's as simple as acknowledging it. Other times it's as simple as waiting because the crowd's already laughing because they, they know what's going on. Uh, so those are all things, again, that you learn over time, uh, kind of to your earlier point about music, uh, knowing when to be quiet, you know, if they're laughing, Sometimes just stand there, you know, I mean, even the greats, uh, Jack Benny and people, Carson, uh, knowing when to stand there and allow them to laugh. And then when you do speak, it, it's multiple. It's, you know, there's an exponential kind of uh, growth in the in the laugh because there's been an anticipation. What happens if you like you build, you have a story, so you have a joke, which is basically a story and uh, some drunk guy breaks Right, there's sort of the rhythm and yells some stupid thing out. Uh, how do you recover from something like that? Do you ignore them or do you do you have to like hit back with some kind of? It depends on how talk. on how good <laughs> on how good their contribution is. Um, usually, it's it's not. And uh, one of the options you mentioned is is the best course of action. Um, I've gotten better at ignoring. Again, as a younger comic, you kind of almost feel. Well, there's two dynamics. One is that you think everyone can hear what you're hearing, which yeah. is not the case. The people oh. in the back don't hear what the guy in the front row just said to you. Mm. Um, and then you just look like you're reacting to nothing or overreacting uh, in some cases to nothing. So sometimes the best course of action is to ignore. Um, and that's a skill that develops over time, too. It's like it, it, and I was a teacher, too, in my early years. So there's that thing of like, I heard that. Uh, I heard that interruption. I know they're attempting to interject themselves or maybe throw me off off uh, my train of thought, but I'm going to ignore it. And all of that is going on in your head, you know, and in comedy, again, this is probably something that most people don't realize. You're you're speaking, but there are like 10 different things. You're, you're thinking of the next joke. You're thinking of the next section. You're thinking of the person who just yelled something. That, Am I going to ignore that or, or say something? Um, so yeah, you're constantly making decisions in, in real time while kind of having this real seamless presentation that you're speaking off the cuff. Uh, but, but to answer your question, yeah, sometimes it's ignoring other times it's addressing, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, again, if it's something loud that the whole crowd heard, maybe they're already laughing. Maybe they're waiting for your response. You, you kind of have to get a sense of, uh, you know, how should I proceed here? And what is the thing I hear constantly a lot on Mark Marin talks about it, you know, I mean, everyone talks the, the good room, you know, and he talks about there's rooms he won't he, when he's interviewing other comedians. I won't do that room. I'll never do that room again. And there's a good what makes a room good. I mean, a room is it's the people, not the room, is it? Or does the room have really an impact? It is an interesting question. I do think there are bad rooms uh, over over the course of time. Because like any establishment, they're mismanaged. Uh, the people, when they're brought in, are not welcomed properly. It's not, you know, it's kind of the wrong tone is is set from, it's kind of like who's in charge here. There's, a, you know, there's a lot of comedy clubs and, and um, performance spaces that are like that. And then there's other places where you do feel welcomed. You do feel like it's a night uh, of, of the arts or a night, you know, that is significant. Um, and I think that sets a tone as well. So, but having said that, it doesn't matter. Once you get on stage, you're a comedian and that's the crowd. Like you said, I could be at Madison Square Garden or I could be at a bar show. Uh, It's people sitting in chairs facing me and I'm speaking into a device that amplifies my voice. It's it's always the same. It's it's always the same. So, uh, you know, in a weird way, it's going to be easier when you're doing Madison Square Garden or Letterman or Carnegie Hall or Conan. Because uh, those are the peak experiences. You've gone through a million bad rooms or tough rooms uh, to earn those kind of, not, I'm not going to say easy, uh, because it's still, you have to kind of manage your nerves and there's all that type of thing. But um, those ba- those quote unquote bad rooms are are important. They're not just necessary, they're they're important. Sure. But the same joke won't play the same in Norway as it would in Fairfield, where you were just at, um, will it or not? Or does it matter? Well, I think luckily in my career, there's been a kind of um, the earth has has shrunk due to the internet and and you know before that cable television, you know um, all of these things have shrunk the experience so that people have a baseline kind of awareness of certain things that maybe they wouldn't have years prior. So, you know, I, I've been astounded by that when I've done international gigs, whether it was Norway or, you know, Scandinavian countries or, or the Middle East, for that matter, where I was a little in my head before I got in. Like, is this going to even talking to the other comedians like, will this work? Will that work? Um, but ultimately, the best test is to is to do it, you know, unless it's something that might be offensive to the culture. Like, you know, the, the, then it's a good good idea to check. <laughs> but uh, as far as like, will this work? Won't this work? That's really kind of true. Whether whether I'm one town over or the other side of the country or the other side of the world, you know, the, the, there's going to be and sometimes jokes just don't work for reasons you don't even understand. Like I, I've told this joke a thousand times, to, like and you you talk about being, you know, in your head, like even though I'm on to the next joke in my head, I'm saying, like, did I like stand differently or did I forget a word like you know, or sometimes I'll even say that to the crowd. I was like, uh, you know, sometimes I'll do the joke over. I'm going to say that didn't uh, land the way I'm used to. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take it again and, uh, you know, and then I'll just start over. And then they're laughing because, you know, you're starting the same exact wording and the same premise. So they're laughing just at the, you know, uh, the ridiculousness that you're, yeah, <laughs> you I'm weren't like, pleased with the first <laughs> like, attempt. I'm, you know? I met a joke. Yeah, that's a joke. Right, right. Exactly. 
Yeah, and you well, there's a lot of things you covered there, but you talked about the the physical. Did I stand a little differently? You you have a unique physical. Every comedian's unique in the way physically. You know, they used to talk about Eddie Murphy prowling, and somebody else would, uh, you know, strut and this and that. But you do have like a I don't know how to describe it, but you you use your body and you use your eyes very deliberately, or you know, it it just comes off and and it feeds the humor. It accents the humor, embellishes it, or whatever. Is that is it something developed over years, or it's just your natural body uh, language? Yeah, thanks. Well, that's a good question. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think I naturally have a physicality as a performer. Uh, when I was younger, I think it was a little more uh, maybe manic and amped up because you're wanting so badly to do well. And then as I've matured as a person and as a performer, I think it's still there, but I control it a little bit more, you know, like I'm a little bit more kind of dialed down, a little more laid back, a little more like who I am offstage. Uh, but I do accent it with physicality, with movement. Uh, I like all those things, you know, and I think as a student of comedy too, you, you, you mentioned whether it's Eddie Murphy or even I watched Chris Rock's new special last night. He's someone who prowls the stage and uses it really well and is very different uh, from his offstage persona. You know, he's kind of adopts that cadence of a, of a preacher or, you know, someone who's, um, who's kind of, sh you know, shouting. Um, so all of those things as a student of comedy are fascinating to me. Uh, I remember talking to Lewis Black years ago and he just said, uh, I found out, like, I found out I was funnier when I yelled. Um, <laughs> You know, so like something as simple as that. And, I, you know, I, I, I teach comedy, too, uh, sometimes. So I tell younger comedians, consider your volume, you know, because it's a very simple thing. Hmm. But, uh, you know, whether you're yelling, whispering or something in between, uh, it, it hits differently. So consider how do I best serve the joke? How do I best serve the idea? in my performance and in my volume. And, you know, I, I tour with Jim Gaffigan, who's, who's a master of all the, the dynamics. That, I mean, he literally goes down to a whisper and talks to himself and then, yeah, yeah. and then yells. And so like, you know, I almost consider him like Carlin with uh, the dynamics, the audio dynamics. Like if you looked at a, at a chart uh, of the, the highs and lows, you know, they, they would be wider than certainly me, but than most comedians. Uh, so I find all those things fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You're, um, well, again, I'm back to your senior class because that's the one I watched today. I watched others before, when we were preparing for your first uh, round. But um, so there was this one thing I think it was towards the end, but it was all about the women and uh, how I begin to dis the, the the it's the customer service thing about you know ultimately men are women's when they finally find a man that's the ultimate customer service that gets it's got the biggest laugh of the set I think and applause and everything. Is that like was that a tried and true build up for that, and you knew it, or did it surprise you in any way, or does any did the reactions ever surprise you? And then do you then you do change? Do you do you finesse the joke accordingly? Yeah. Now, do you mean did it surprise me the night of the taping? Yeah, yeah. The, no, no. By no. by the by the night of the taping, you're pretty much. Uh, you know, you shouldn't ideally you shouldn't be surprised by too much of anything as far as where the jokes land and the, and the yeah, yeah. cadence, the, you know, the rhythm of everything. So, no, um, you know, you're kind of almost a conductor at that point. You're conducting the crowd to exactly, you know, the more or less the pace you want, where you want them to land, what you want the reaction to be, uh, all of that. So um, but but as you're building it, 
for sure, you're surprised by things. And if you're listening, you can hear where they want more. So that was a bit the one you're talking about where uh, that that built and even my volume built because I like I haven't really been a yeller or someone who, you know, takes like I don't shout very much on stage. But I realized with that bit that adding more volume to it and kind of building um, your both in your agitation and, and it, literally in your volume, that it helps the joke, you know, because uh, you're building to, uh, you know, a crescendo. So, yeah, so those are things that you learn in the development of the material. But come the night of the special, all of that is is finely tuned. Mm hmm. And Oh my! One, just one more comment on that. On that set was the uh, I found myself wanting, and and I don't know whether jokes ever whether you tend to go back revisit a set a piece, and expand it. Like I find found myself wanting more of the hot bagel guy. <laughs> you know, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I thought <laughs> because you know it struck it struck a chord with I'm sure every guy. You know, whether you admit it or not. So. Um, yeah. Do you ever go back and say, you know, that that needs another 30 seconds or another minute or not needs, but I'd like to I, I'd like to build on it. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I do. Uh, sometimes I think less is more, you know, like like with the idea you're talking about, it's that idea of uh, as a heterosexual man, sometimes like uh, guys make you nervous uh like the guy at the bagel shop you know so and it's just acknowledging that feeling and so i told that on stage one night because that's one of the fun things about stand-up is just noticing those moments in real life mm. and saying to yourself mm. oh you know i wonder if this will translate to the stage uh it's a little bit you know vulnerable a little bit out there uh but can i articulate it in such a way that it hits hits the mark of what i'm trying to communicate um, so yeah, that, that was one of those. And I like those types of foundations of jokes because they're, they're funny to be, it's a funny scenario. Like it's almost like a, out of Seinfeld or, you know, it's almost like a, it could be in a sitcom that, that moment, that idea could be a scene. Um, so yeah, uh, but I, I do waver on certain jokes, like is, is less more or mm. is more and more, does it, does it need more? And for me, it just comes down to whether uh, something occurs to me. You know, if I feel a joke is finished, uh, then usually that's it. Um, aside from adding a layer of physicality or maybe the timing of it, maybe a silence, a pause, a, a, a facial expression, all of those things kind of come. Um, and the more you do it, just one night, an another little beat finds its way in. And if you're recording, uh, which you should be every night, uh, then you listen back and you're like, oh, you know, I did something different there. And then you take note of it and you make it part of that bit. So how do you decide, like, I need a whole new set of material. Let's say you've been doing it for, I don't know, so many years. What's the decision making in doing that? And, and when you do decide that I need to make up a whole new hour, of stuff is that how it works mm. do you actually start right start making notes and saying like in nine months I, I'll, I'll have created and you know enough material for a whole new show yeah i think that varies for everyone the timetable um some comedians just put out one hour and that's their career or two hours you know yeah. uh 
I've put out five so far. Jim, who I tour with, uh, Jim Gaffigan, just just we just recorded his tenth um, two weeks ago in Tampa. So I mean, he's he's in rare air with uh, with ten specials, and he's very disciplined and hardworking about putting the last hour away. Cause that's the hardest thing for any comedian, especially when you've been in it a while, it, you almost feel like, you know, I've earned, I'm going to sit with this hour for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he and a lot of the greats uh, are quick to drop it. You know, I, I used to tour with uh, Lewis black and other people that they'll just put it aside and uh, kind of make it off limits. That's really what you have to do. You have to go back to that, beginners mentality i mean you didn't have an hour when you started you, you, you know you were you were building five minutes much less an hour um so that's kind of what you have to go back to so i you know i i go back and forth i'm not as diligent as jim or some of these guys that put out a special every year or every two years um but you know i'll i'll kind of approach it like i give myself a bit of a deadline like i want to get to an hour uh but then i'll because i find like if i record it then it'll lose something like I was talking about with musicians, they record it. And then when they tour with it, it becomes something else. Uh, and I feel the same with comedy, like bits that I think are done. If I do them another year uh, or even six months, they're better, you know? So sometimes I, I feel as though uh, you're losing something by recording things too quickly and move, moving on too quickly from something that, can um evolve you know and, and have another color another moment mm -hmm. um just from the performing of it and and again listening to the crowd and things just happen some nights um so you know that, that's my uh, that's my opinion on it that it's fun to live with things for a while uh, especially if you like them you know uh, if you're tired that's a different thing if you're tired of your act or certain jokes then by all means, it's time to put it to bed because you don't want to put yourself through that and you want to put the crowd through that. <laughs> right. So do you make notes? Like, uh, let's say you're walking. Do you, are you confident uh, when you get back home that, you know, you remember that? Or, or like for, for me, I think I have great ideas. Was, oh, oh, that's an awesome idea. And then when I get home, what, what was that idea? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that idea was going to change the world. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yeah, no, that's one of the cardinal rules of, of comedy and probably the arts in general. When you have that idea, put it in your phone, put it in a notebook. Yeah. You know, if you're in the middle of the night, turn the lights on, write it down. Don't let that thing escape because <laughs> anything that excites you, uh, you know, and, and I, I also take that approach with writing. Like, you know, writing is always kind of a, a bit of a chore, like you you put it off or you don't want to get to it. But when you have that idea and you're excited and you're at a notebook or a laptop or whatever, uh, you know, I think it's important to take note of that feeling like you're, you're excited, you know, stay there. Like, don't just write down the one line that you're excited about. Stay in the chair and like, see if you can do a half hour, an hour, two hours, um, because it's the excitement is, is what we're after all the time. So if that excitement of an idea brings you to your seat, stay there and 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 you know uh that will color what comes out yeah now you do a lot of you talk a lot about your, your somewhat about your personal life and your and i think when an early uh set uh a special uh you, you had twins right you have twins 
Close. Uh, they're 16 months apart. Yeah, three and two. Oh, oh okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Refer to them as twins. Yeah. It must be. How old are they now? Uh, just turned three, and our daughter will be two end of April. Oh, so it wasn't that old. For some reason, I thought it was an older special. Okay, so that's and and you are you were you had a fiance in the last. So you now married. Yeah, yeah, we've so that wasn't the last special oh, no, uh, no. senior class, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We were engaged at that point, and then Cut Up came after that one. That was uh, during the pandemic. I put out Cut Up, um, but yes, so we were engaged at that point, and now we've been married five years, and we've got the two kids. So, and you know, we've moved out from New York out to the woods in Connecticut. So a lot has changed okay. in five years. Oh, but we're in Westport. You're in upstate Connecticut, or we're in Killingworth. We're kind of oh. in the woods. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, it's nice. Yeah, I'm in Reading. Oh, nice. So, so yeah, you, we're neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what's coming up? Are you you're on a current tour? I mean, you did FTC. We missed it, um, but um, to miss promoting yeah, it. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm touring with with Jim. Kind of, uh, you know, he just wrapped the special, so we're gonna pick up again um in april and then we'll kind of start up again and, and i'll be doing some of my own dates i think i'm doing a tour in the south like uh new orleans maybe jacksonville mobile um uh, four or five cities in june uh that'll be up on my my website within probably the month um but yeah mostly i'll be touring with jim so that's kind of that's kind of like the uh a little bit of the deal that i've had to make with myself um you know, it's like, do I go out and do fill the calendar with my own dates, my own hour headlining sets, or do I open for Jim? Uh, you know, and, and the difference being I'm playing arenas with Jim, like literally NBA arenas, uh, if not really the nicest theaters in whatever city we're in. Um, and, you know, sometimes flying private planes and staying in nice uh hotels versus you know a hotel on the side of the highway and <laughs> flying commercial uh you know so all of those things where it's like after 30 years you're, you're like you know what um and also make more money by the way you know uh doing a 20 minute set versus my own hour <laughs> so you know all those things now especially now that i have a family uh it's like all right you know uh, i'll i'll figure it out uh, you kind of have to make the bargains that artistically you know even though there's a different task when i'm opening for jim versus you know doing my own thing uh with no holds barred um but yeah that's kind of i every person and certainly every artist has to figure those things out do you ever uh uh are your children old enough to realize that daddy's funny and and the <laughs> second part question is do you ever do little jokes for them like based on gummy bears or things that they you know tailor <laughs> to them just them yeah. yeah, I mean, it is kind of an ongoing comedy set uh, amongst the the four of us. Uh, you know, I don't think they're aware uh, that it is, but, you know, um, they're, they're funny, obviously, because they're kids and the things that happen are, are funny. So you're, you're constantly like uh, to, to your point earlier of like remembering things. Uh, sometimes I'll even say to my wife, like this happened or that happened. And she's like, Oh, you got to talk about that on stage. Like sometimes it's almost like you're in a wartime experience <laughs> or you're, in, you're in battle and you don't realize it's funny. It's like, Oh yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. I guess I should, I should try to figure that, figure that out. Uh, tell that story or, you know, that situation. Uh, one being in my current set, like our son, when he was two and a half swallowed a quarter, <laughs> 
So, you know, and that was on Easter Sunday. So like I started out by saying like, we thought it would take three days to pass, uh, <laughs> but it took five, you know, so, so that kind of turned into a, uh, a story, like probably a three minute story with different beats. Um, but like in my earlier days, I might not have considered telling mm. that, um, but I've gotten better at like, uh, you know, recognizing those moments that maybe are like traumatic at the time. Um, or, or trying and, and yeah. And then realizing it makes for good comedy. Well, Trace, any last, you have any shows coming up you want to promote? Uh, I'm going to be at, at the comedy cellar uh, at the end of March. Uh, those dates are kind of booked week to week, but uh, I'm going to have some dates towards the end of the month. Uh, so those will be on tedalexandro.com. Mm -hmm. uh, when they get booked the week prior. So those will appear probably, um, I'd say a week or two from now. Um, yeah, I'll be at the comedy cellar in, in New York city. Okay, good. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show and, uh, yeah. love to have comedians come on. Yeah. It was my pleasure guys. Thank you. You yeah. know, it's uh, I love talking comedy and, uh, and you guys did your homework and didn't even have any notes on, written on your hand. <laughs> no, we didn't. Thank you very much, Dad. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye.